Do you want to hear about great work happening in schools around the world? Just Schools are life-giving places that address feedback, engagement, and well-being for each student. Dr. John Eckert digs deep into the current educational landscape with research, experience, and a good dose of humor and humility. Join us in the desire to do justice, love kindness, and walk with confident humility. Get inspired with stories of improvement in the profession that makes all others possible. So today we have a little bit different guest than we typically have. We have a parent and someone who leads a school in Oklahoma that is a classical school. If you don't know much about classical education, they're predicated on truth beauty and knowledge and how we pursue those things, which I love the idea of classical education and that it gets at the heart of what we all are pursuing. We're not just thinking about knowledge, we're thinking about wisdom and how do we apply that and how do we find the things that make us curious. So Nikki Bell is going to be on today. Her kids have gone through this. They have a son who's just graduated, a National Merit Scholar. So it's been truly impactful for their family. But then hearing how she thinks about the way it works in education for others is pretty powerful. And I think if we did this well, we could have much more civil discourse on what we really should be pursuing and what the ends of education should be as we get to a deeper level of understanding about what education truly is as we reorient our loves to what is good and best in the world around us. Today, we're here with an outstanding educator from Oklahoma, Nikki Bell. She's a good friend of Baylor University. She and her husband both are, and she is at a university model school, which for some of you, this may be the first time you've heard of that. For others of you, you may be very familiar because we have an increasing number of university model schools around the country. So we were talking a few months ago, and I thought it would be great to get her on to talk about some of the opportunities and challenges that are out there for university model schools. But I'd love to just start with Nikki telling us a little bit about how you got into education and particularly to the school where you're at right now. So welcome in, Nikki. Thank you so much for having me. So my background, I was a marketing major at Baylor and, you know, which bears. Right. Right. I mean, I literally bleed green and gold and I had two children and they're right at two years apart. And my son was in first grade and in a great school, but he just, it wasn't meeting his needs. And, you know, and I had this spreadsheet and like, this is how their lives are going to be while they're under my roof. Like we're going to do this and then we're going to do this and this, and this is where they're going to school and how this is what's all going to look like. And it didn't take long for me to figure out that I needed to go in a different direction with his education. And then, you know, as only the Lord can do, you know, three ladies that I respected within the community, I crossed paths with them. And so we started talking about homeschooling and they all had positive things to say. And so I'm like, okay, you know, I guess, I guess this is the sign. So I pulled him after first grade and my daughter, who was two years younger, went straight from Mother's Day out into our homeschool. And we joined a classical Christian um, homeschool group. Okay. And it was there that I was exposed to the classical Christian you know, education, because that's not, you know, how I was educated. And so we were in that group for, oh, my son was second grade through sixth. And then in seventh grade, he 
moved to the private classical Christian school where he is today, which is, you know, a college model where it's the block schedule where you've got classes Monday, Wednesday, Friday, Tuesday, Thursday. And so he did that part time. And then when my daughter got to sixth grade, which was when you could go part time, she moved out of the full time homeschool into the part time program. And it's, you know, they've, the school offers things a la carte. So the things that I wasn't necessarily good at teaching, you know, um, and it provided a structure. So that's how we ended up in the school. And so my son just graduated. So he was there for six years. And the last three years, um, I've been serving on the board of governors. So that is how I found myself going from a marketing major, you know, to, to a teacher. <laughs> yes. 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 Well, hey, that's a great range of perspectives. And thanks for bringing in the classical piece, because a lot of our university model schools we're seeing are this classical model. And so uh, tell us a little bit about what drew you into the classical model. I mean, the things that draw me into it are the pursuit of truth, beauty, and knowledge, and the way we get to knowledge, to wisdom through knowledge, but it's not the end of things to just have knowledge. But uh, is there anything in particular about that model of schooling beyond just even the format of the university model where the scheduling is a little bit different. Uh, anything you want to say about the classical model that was particularly appealing to you or you've seen benefit for your own children or for other students? Absolutely. I think, you know, when I started researching and the more I was reading, you know, back when they were in elementary, you know, everything came back to, to what you were saying. It's ordering their affections. Yes. And so that they love the truth, the beautiful and the good. So, and that was completely new to me. You know, I grew up, you know, elementary and junior high in a public school in a small town, you know, Catholic high school, and it was different. But, you know, the progressive movement within education, you know, started decades before, and I was a product of that, and unbeknownst to me, because that's all I knew. Mm. Uh, and so this idea of the goal of education is truly to order the student's affection really resonated with me and it changed how I parented, um, yes. you know, just all the way around. And, you know, you're introducing your kids to big, rich ideas, yes. you know, and what I've seen, you know, on the back end, you know, both of my kids, you know, being in high school and my son just graduating is how they relate to the world. Mm. And, you know, they, are very grounded in who they are, um, mm. you know, and who they are in Christ and they own their faith. They own their education. I just, I've seen all the positives because they've been trained, you know, from within a class, let's back up in a classical model. You've got in the younger years, that's the grammar stage. And that's when the kids just want data and facts. And so when you're pouring those into them and, you know, we had a very strong Bible program within our church and from the time they were four, they were memorizing scripture. And then, you know, and then you move into the classroom setting and they're memorizing history and math facts and all of these. And, you know, in your book, you use the word scaffolding. And mm -hmm. I, that resonates with me. And I love that because that is a classical education is right. you start with the facts and you scaffold to the logic stage, mm -hmm. which is where they learn to ask questions and to challenge um, mm -hmm. ideas and thoughts. So then when they get to high school, they can articulate their positions. Yes. 
Yeah, the grammar, logic, and rhetoric are just beautiful things. And with the trivium and quadrivium, you go back hundreds of years in this, and we've lost a lot of that in schools. And I think we've lost a lot of that in families and churches as well. This reorienting our loves is, you know, James Clear, have you read Atomic Habits, James Clear's book? Like, it's just based in thousands of years of biblical wisdom. And and, And he says that he's not the the beginner of this he's just synthesizing ideas but basically you can distill that book in my view down into two things it's habits over goals and identity over self-control so if you have your identity grounded in christ something that is stable and solid then it's not about your performance it's not about what others think of you it's about what your identity is is being someone who is loved by god and that is secure and it's one of the only things that's secure and so i feel like an education that points students toward hey this is truth and this is beauty and this is knowledge and then as you pursue those you gain wisdom that's a pretty beautiful thing. And I never, I say all this as if I'm an apologist for classical schools. I, I've supported a lot of classical schools. I've never gone through a classical education, but I went to a great liberal arts undergrad where I feel like I got the appreciation of that, which is what I think is, has been lost sometimes in schools where we've just moved into this standardized testing accountability, this let's, let's teach you social emotional things, but we can't actually ground them and be explicit in why we're grounding them there. And I think then you lose some of the, the ability to drive it forward. So people like you and me, we live in that world and we don't even realize what we're missing until you see, Oh, there's that. And that we, we had scaffolding going on, but it wasn't really scaffolding toward wisdom. Uh, so, yeah, so uh, that's good. And so I'm glad you've gotten to see that as a parent, you've gotten to see that as an educator. So as you look at this model, particularly the classical university model, what are some of the opportunities and challenges that you have seen or do you see in the near future for that model specifically? You know, I think I just finished listening to the book Battle for the American Mind. I don't know if you're familiar with that. No, I haven't read that. No. Yeah. Are you, is it a recommendation? I I would recommend it because what the authors do, it's Pete Hegseth. If I'm not, I don't know if I'm saying that correctly with David Goodwin. And what he does is he unpacks, you know, he kind of frames up the history of education and the progressive movement and the indoctrination and the idea of if you can separate students from family, I mean, then you can kind of control the narrative, if you will. And, you know, he says that if students, and this is a trust, but verify, students are in the classroom K through 12 for 16,000 hours. And if you can control that, um, you can control society. And then, you know, and this might be (laughs) perhaps getting too far in the weeds. Um, But so that's the frame up for the value of classical education. Um, And the reason that, you know, we've gotten away from teaching our kids how to think and exposing them to the great works and letting them read Plato and not just letting them, expecting them. And so I think as educators, there's a huge opportunity to really further the classical movement in the spirit of reclaiming Hmm. the Christian society. Yeah, no, I I think that's powerful. So let's put, let's put a point on that. How have you seen this kind of education serve students? Well, whether you're talking about your own children or other children's, where where have you seen them flourish in ways that you're like, this is super encouraging in this model. 
articulating opinions, you know, having okay. been through yeah. taking logic, both of my kids have taken logic. So I can't argue with, <laughs> you know, I'm like, okay, you know, I don't agree with you, but okay. Um, you know, and then the rhetoric where they learn to articulate their position. So they're going into this world being able to articulate their beliefs. It's um, good. And, and I hope, and this is what I, I see in a lot of the schools that give me, give me hope is they're able to articulate their opinions, but they're also able to listen to divergent opinions and entertain the idea without fully accepting it, but have a civil discourse. Because uh, to me, I want students who can articulate a position, but what I feel like is increasingly lost in our country and in the system is being able to articulate a position, hear something that is counter to yours, and be able to engage that in a civil and intelligent way that actually makes learning way more interesting, uh, where it's not an othering where it's us versus them and there. Uh, do you feel like you're, you're, you said you couldn't argue with them, which I, I, I get that as a parent. <laughs> that's, that's real. But I do think that there's something that's really fun about hashing out ideas that are different and can be, in, can be enjoyable. But right now in a polarized country, it feels like it's just a constant wedge issue instead of a way to help us more deeply understand others and build empathy, which is the highest level of understanding understand it from our perspective, but then also be able to understand it from someone else's. And I think classical education has something to offer there. Uh, what, what are your thoughts about that? Um, absolutely. I think that's a, a great point that you make. And it's been fun to listen to them talk with their friends. I mean, my son has a, you know, a very articulate friend and to listen to them challenge each other and to go back and forth in this high idea that you are wrestling with an idea and it's not a difference of opinion is not attacking the person. You're challenging the idea. You know, it's like a rock in a tumbler. Yes. Um, you know, you're just spinning it around in pursuit of the truth, you know. Um, and so those meaningful dialogues, you know, have been invaluable. And I've seen some schools that really lean into this with the Harkness method or Paideia seminars or Socratic seminars where you see kids as young as like third grade having these conversations where they're learning how to ask questions, to listen, to present a strong opinion on something that's backed up by evidence. And to me, that's super encouraging because I don't feel like a lot of adults can do that right now. And so we've got to figure out a way to, to drive that down. And so into society, because again, what your point is, I mean, education is the profession that makes all others possible. So if you want to direct society, it's one of the best levers we have. And if that gets off course, that's going to be a problem. And so instead of viewing schools, and I, I think sometimes university model schools or homeschool co-ops get get a rap of being we want to separate ourselves we want to be set apart we don't want to engage with these things where i think in the best version of that it should be no we want to engage effectively around truth beauty and knowledge and we want to go for wisdom and that wisdom should be shared with society so that they're entering into dialogues not as a we need to hunker down hide in a bunker because we're afraid of the world. It's like, no, we have truth. <laughs> we have beauty. We have knowledge. We know who our identity is. Like we should be confidently engaging 
in a humble way with the world. Uh, do you feel like that's where your school has landed? Or do you think that there is a fear-based component, which, you know, a lot of people say hey, there's grounds for being fearful, but how do you feel like your school has been able to navigate that fear versus engagement continuum? You know, it's a very small community. And I think there's an awareness of what's going on. And, you know, students these days with social media, they're, you can't shelter them. Um, so there's absolutely true. an awareness, but I think having a place that is protected um, yeah. and, you know, acknowledges the evil in the world and the ickiness of society, but yet still believes in training up children the way they should go. Yes. Well, that's, I, I'm, I speak to all the incoming students. I'm the first faculty speaker, they get at orientation. And that's how I lay it out. Like, hey, there's no better place to be than at Baylor, because we believe in absolute truth and truth can be known. And you come to the classroom with all different perspectives. So if you come to us and you're a Christian, like obviously there's, it's the only Protestant research one university in the world. If you come and you're not a believer or you're Hindu or Muslim or, you know, an atheist, this is still an amazing place to be because we know we can pursue truth together and we can do it in this place that's welcoming, but grounded in truth, not in these odd approximations of truth. And it's not my truth and your truth or their truth. It's like there is truth and we all have different perspectives. And so I think a school like that sounds like it can be a beautiful place. Yes. So as, so you know, where do you hope things will move in the future for your own kids? I mean, your, your son just graduated, right? And he's, unfortunately, he's chosen another institution other than Baylor. Yeah. But, but he uh, sounds like he was very successful, like National Merit Scholar, yeah. right? I mean, so clearly he's learned how to think in some ways that are obvious. You talk a little bit about that success if you want or other successes that you've seen coming out of this, uh, the work you've been doing. So with the university model and some of the great things that make our school so fantastic outside of the cultural, outside of the structure, um, you know, it's loosely based on the house system. You know, we laugh about it, affectionately laugh about it being like Hogwarts. So we have yeah. these four houses and the students are in that. And, you know, from the sixth grade to 12th and within that, there's an accountability system. And they learn, you know, that their actions have consequences because if you know, if they get service hours, that counts points for their house. Or if they miss homework, you know, it's kind of the merit demerit system loosely. Yep. You know, and even within that, you've got leadership opportunities. And so to watch both of my kids go through that and have a peer level accountability. And then, you know, peer-to-peer -peer leadership opportunities. I think those are the skills that are going to be transferable beyond high school. You know, those are the things that you take with you into college, that you take beyond college. Um, because I think, you know, there's the knowledge portion of education, and then there's the people component. And you've got to be able to work successfully with people who have a different style, communicate differently, Um and so I think there's some programs within our school that facilitate that. I love that. I think those 
that those two pieces are key approaches to whatever we do. So as we wrap things up here, I usually do a lightning round where I just get you to give me a word, phrase, or sentence. You're pretty succinct in your answers. So this is a bigger challenge for some guests than others. But uh, if you could share, either as a parent or as you think about education in general, what is the worst advice you've ever received? And then maybe the best advice on the flip side. So let's start with the negative so we end on a positive. Well done. I don't know if necessarily it's the worst advice, but I think the worst response within education is apathy. Mm, uh, this is how it's always been. We've always done it this way. Um, a resistance to update. I don't want to say evolve. Um but I think organizationally, it is important to update, stay true to who you are and adhere to the values, I would say. But there are some you know, nuances of organizational development that need, and processes that should be updated. And I think when you're apathetic and kind of like, well, you know, I don't really want to make that change. Yeah, apathy is just a is just a killer right now. And you see it in students. You sometimes see it in educators that are burned down or burned out. They've felt a little cynical because they've had one technical solution thrown on top of an adaptive challenge. And we haven't reoriented our loves as human beings. And it just leads to apathy because we don't know what we're working toward. And I don't think there is flourishing without purpose. And so I think that's where you end up with apathy. All right. So best advice. Best advice. Okay. Gosh, I would say several things, maybe not several, <laughs> but you know, you've got to educate the kids that you have and yes. not the kids that you think you should have or the uh, kids that you want. Um, and word. I think that's true for parents as well. And that was a very humbling process because, you know, I had my spreadsheet. This is how life is going to look for these 18 years. And my children didn't fit that mold and they are very wonderful and they are very capable um, and they're developed into very successful humans to this stage of life. Um, but it wasn't what I'd anticipated. And once I leaned into who they were or who they are, um, our whole dynamic changed within education and their ability to learn. So and, good. So good. Um, and I would also say other good advice. Um, sometimes the most lasting and valuable lessons are not scripted. Mm, you good. know, it's the ones where you show up and you think today, like we've got to get through this material. And if we don't, we're behind. And, you know, that whole productivity, like output, you know, mentality. But when you're, in step with the Holy Spirit and letting him guide your steps, sometimes the lesson of the day isn't addition and subtraction. It's how can we love each other better? How can we listen better? But it's also hard as the adult who's responsible for the output to give ourselves permission to go off script. Oh, yeah. To, to the, the most amazing lessons I've seen, like in a science classroom that teach you how to be a better human, where those lessons pop up in the lesson. So good instructions going on, you're learning content, but more importantly, you're learning how to be a human. Uh, that's huge. And the, I think related to that is your first piece of advice 
is that we have these molds that we want everything, we want our kids to fit in, we want the lessons to fit in. But then sometimes what comes out of them, I, I look at my own kids who are now 20, 17, and 15, and they're way cooler than any mold I could have created for them as an infant. Like, here's what I want you to be. The versions that God has made them into are way better than I could have imagined. Just like the lesson sometimes is way better than you could have scripted. Um, so I think those are related pieces of advice. So thanks. That's, that's outstanding. Um, so I would just add uh, a couple, la- two last questions uh, that are, you can answer as briefly as you can, or uh, if you have more to say, that's fine. But what's your looking ahead in the next year, what's your best hope for education and what do you see as the biggest challenge facing educators? And, and maybe you can lump parents in there if you want as well, but so best hope, biggest challenge, feel free to start with the challenge first and end with the hope. Yes. Okay. So I think the biggest challenge is the going against the current in society. Um, no matter what form, if you're a homeschool parent, if you are a private school teacher or a public school teacher, I think the social environment of our world right now is very challenging. And so, and I think for a Christian educator to go against that, um, it takes resolve and conviction. And you've got to have your loves oriented correctly. Right. To go. Yeah. Yeah. Can I add one more thing to that? Absolutely. Um, And I think that that really reinforces the value of the work that you're doing in growing and bringing up Christian educators and then sending them out into the world with a solid foundation and a community and a professional network. Um, I think that that's critical as, you know, the work that you're doing. No, I think, and that's the blessing of the work we get to do. We get to catalyze people to go out and do that and do that well. And yeah, there's no, I, I say, I always say I have the best job in education. So uh, it's pretty great. Uh, then your best hope related, I, is it related to that? Or what? how would you tie your best hope to that? I think the best hope is I do think that people are awakening to, you know, things that we just have been perhaps dismissive or unaware of. Um, and I think COVID shined a light on some things that, you know, we were just unaware of because, you know, I'm a Gen Xer and that's just how, I mean, going back to the app, that's just how we were raised. That's what we knew. We didn't know any different. So it's kind of the no better, do better thing. Yeah. Um, and I think the awakening and the resurgence of the classical, you know, obviously I favor that, but the mm. classical model. And then, you know, if you you know, put hand in glove with that model and the work you're doing, you know, I'm excited about education. I think there's some really good things going on. Um, No, I totally agree. Your excitement is well-founded. We appreciate the way you all have partnered in this work and are so grateful for educators like you and parents like you that, that do this good work. Thanks for being with us today, Nikki. I, I really appreciate your time. Thank you so much for having me. It's been fun. I hope you were able to hear uh, Nikki's passion for what she does and the way she has hope for what the world can be. And even if you don't agree with everything that you hear on our podcast or you are from a different school background or you have a different feeling about something, hopefully you can hear the passion 
and the love that Nikki brings to what she's doing and the hopefulness there is to the type of schooling that's there because higher ed and being at Baylor, that's the case in the center should be a place where we share ideas in ways that allow us to deepen our understanding of what might work well for each student. And I love the idea of classical education as being a great option for kids who have the kind of drive and desires and the centering that happens when we focus on truth, beauty, and wisdom. And whether you're a classical educator or not, that to me is the call for us as educators to do more than just impart knowledge, but to drive deeper to the heart of what it is to truly be human and get to the deepest part of what education is and the profession that makes all of this possible. Have a great week. Thanks for listening. This podcast is brought to you by Baylor Center for School Leadership. 